The following is a message from Charles Telfer at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474, wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Almighty God in heaven, we ask that you would give us a thirst for spiritual things and that you would satisfy that thirst, that you would give us an experience of the abundance of your house and of the satisfactions that you alone give through Christ by the Spirit. Stir us, touch us, instruct us, and inspire us, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 4 as we continue our faculty series in the Gospel of John. We'll be reading 4, 1 through 15, the first half of this remarkable interaction between Jesus and this woman from Samaria. John 4, reading in verse, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to drink water, excuse me, to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Amen. May the Lord's blessing be on his word to each of our hearts. Beloved brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we've gone through this series we're focusing on the main character of this gospel, according to John. The woman is a very interesting character, is she not? Interesting to explore. Be interesting to think about her social background, kind of her psychology, her experience. But even as in a theater, the different lights focus different colors and perspectives on one main actor. In this case, it's our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that's being focused on about him in chapter 3, in chapter 4? here in this text this morning. 
Jesus makes this extraordinary invitation in verse 14, which seems to be uh, a highlight. He says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is something that people have sought from the most ancient times. Water that would give eternal life. Ancient Greek Herodotus historian spoke about it. The existence of such water in northeast Africa. We have Ponce de Leon in our own uh, southeastern United States who was looking for this source of eternal life. People have given their whole lives looking for this. How can I, the place where I can drink and live, live forever. We have the same theme in, um, in, even today in films uh, and, uh, and, and books. But what is, it that, that we are, what is it that we're coming away with then as we consider this, uh, this extraordinary figure presenting himself as he does in verse 14? I would dare say, we can summarize some of this in, in three exclamations. How low he is, how high he is, and how desirable he is. How low he is, which is a remarkable thing to say if you look at the end of chapter 3. What does John say of this figure? We always want to read 3 and 4 together. John says of him, does he not, in verse 30, that he is the bridegroom. Now, from a Jewish point of view, this is a remarkable thing. The bridegroom is Yahweh himself. He is the he is the he, is the, he has Israel as his bride. How can it be this figure is, is, is Yahweh? And he speaks about him in 31 as the one who comes from above. Here is one who has an experience of the courts of heaven itself. Here is one who for millennia has been in communication with angelic beings. And yet now as we turn to uh, chapter, uh, verse 6, we read that Jesus wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Remarkable. This exalted figure now so humble. He's exhausted from overwork. He's exhausted from his journey. He has the the, the full force of the Mediterranean sun beating down on his head. It's about noontime. He is exhausted and he is very, very thirsty. In Ethiopia and Eritrea, the traditionalist church believes that Jesus has one fused divine and human nature. That he's not like us and who he is in his nature. We call this the monophysite heresy that they get from the Coptic church. Now, that may seem at first blush to be a rather subtle distinction. One, you know, he's he's got divine elements and human elements. But the practical outworking of a monophysite theology is that Jesus is up there. And it's no surprise in the Ethiopian churches that who is it that the people pray to? They pray to Mary. They pray to the saints. Why do they pray to Mary and the saints? Because Mary's approachable. In their imagination, right? But the reality of Scripture is that Jesus is utterly approachable. We read of him in Hebrews 2, 17, that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Brothers and sisters, let us never forget that he 
he has come and he has fully taken on your experience and your humanity in every way, except for sin, that he knows what it means to be discouraged. He knows what it means to be overwhelmed. He knows what it means to be tempted to the, to the utmost, far beyond what you know, because he never gave in. He knows what it means to, be, to, to labor under the sickness and the brokenness and the, the tragedy and weariness of this world. And here he is just, as it were, sitting there with all that on his mind. He's lowly and he identifies with us when we're confused, when we're, disp- when we're depressed, when we're despairing. We see his lowliness in his physical posture. We see his loneliness in the way he treats this woman. The way he asks her for a drink, and she's taken aback. Look at verse 9. This is a shock to her. The situation, as you are well acquainted, between the Jews and the Samaritans is almost exactly the same situation as there is right there today. Right, right 100 meters from this well, there's, a, there's where uh, uh, Joseph's tomb is, right? And there are Israeli armed guards that are guarding that place 24-7. And just over the, the, the crest of the hill is a very large... A Palestinian refugee camp. And I can assure you of one thing, that the guard, the Israelis would not go into that Palestinian refugee camp and vice versa. That there's a, there's a great hatred between the two groups and the same was the case here. Right? Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. They would not uh, interact with each other. And yet Jesus is willing to overcome that barrier. He, he breaks taboo. And he goes to this woman. That's enough of a, of a shocker right there for a rabbi to speak with a woman. But for a rabbi to ask to drink from a Samaritan's cup, from a Samaritan bucket, he's willing to, over, he's willing to overlook those, uh, those social barriers because of his care for her. In chapter 3, we have Jesus interacting with Nicodemus. Would Nicodemus take a drink from a Samaritan woman? There's no, that's unthinkable. Right? But Jesus is willing to interact on the one hand with the high and mighty who come to him, and on the other hand, he's willing to interact with the low and despised. Here's a woman coming at noon, not in the morning when the other women would come, not in the evening in the cool. She's probably rejected. She's a social outcast, probably. Yes, yes. But Jesus goes to her. Jesus overcomes these, uh, these barriers, and, and, and in his humility and in his own lowliness, he pursues her. He seeks her. And the same is the case with us. That whether you see yourself as a Nicodemus and you're well established and on your way or whether you see yourself as an outcast and just, or just starting out or as, as a would have been or a second rate, wherever you may find yourself or think of yourself on the social scale, that Jesus cares for you. Jesus seeks you. Jesus goes after you. And we'll sing together in a little bit, I hope. I came, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. There's an invitation there. Right? We'll sing 304 together later. I came to Jesus as I was weary and worn and sad, and I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. He's low, but he's also high. He's also high. This Samaritan woman has a very high respect for Jacob, if you look at verse 12, he considers, she considers him as a great man. Now, it is indeed a great thing to, uh, to provide water in Palestine is a great thing. Think about it. There's no rivers. There's no rivers in Palestine. 
no, nothing of, of consequence. We have Jordan on the edge, of, uh, on the edge of, uh, of Canaan, just coming in. But there's no rivers in the middle of the land. Judea is an extraordinary dry place. In the middle, Samaria is a very, very dry place. It's only as you get up north towards Galilee that it gets, uh, that it gets uh, uh, there's more water there. So uh, Jacob is, is a great man, as we read in verse 12, that he could provide water for his people there and his family there. And this woman insults Jesus in verse 12. The, 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 uh, the assumption is that he is not, the answer, it, it assumes a negative answer in verse 12. You're not greater than uh, Jacob, are you? But, Jacob, uh, but Jesus is, uh, makes this extraordinary invitation to her. He says to her that everyone who drinks of this water here at this well that we're sitting by will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now this is extraordinary uh, claim. He's saying that I will give to the one who asks of me the, this eternal water that the, pro- the prophets have promised all along. I am the one. He directs her attention not to the things of this world, but to himself. And he says, I am the source of these blessings. Now, the prophets have used this imagery again and again to speak about redemption and God's renewing through this imagery. We read in Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Or in Isaiah 49, 10, they shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water he will guide them them. Now, we love to focus on things we can count, things that we can measure, things that we can manipulate in this world, but Jesus points us away from all that. He points us to himself, that he himself is so high, and he has all the resources in himself that he's the one we must turn to if we want satisfaction. He tells us in John 6, 63, that the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken are spirit and life. It is the spirit who gives life. This reference, the reference in 14 is to the spirit who gives life. And he's saying, it is I who give the spirit. That is how high I am. John the Baptist told us of him that, that he, as he said in John chapter 1, verse 33, he is the one who gives the spirit. This is who this Jesus is. When he is exalted in his ascension, the day of Pentecost is the uh, the other side, the flip side of the coin of of, of his ascension. And we read there of him that he, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, has poured out this that you're seeing and hearing. Even when he's on earth, he forgives sins. He grants spiritual renewal. But now exalted in heaven, he is the spirit giver. And if you want the life that can only come from the Spirit, where must you turn? Only to this one. You must turn to Him. He is so high, He who came so low. But He is not only so high, but thirdly and finally, He is so desirable. How desirable He is. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God, in verse 10, and who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Now, the Orthodox Jews, well, the gift of God, that must be the Torah. 
But where is Jesus pointing us? Back to himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is the gift of God. Jesus is saying, if you really knew who I were, you would ask me and I would give to you what you're, what you're missing. Our children are models of directness uh, for us in many ways, aren't they? If you're driving down the street and you see a Dairy Queen, what do the children inevitably say? They want the ice cream, right? They, what they, there are some things that are just, when you see them, you want them. And the same with Jesus. When you see him, you want him. Charles Simeon expresses it, starting with the negative. He says, we may as well suppose hell to be open to our view without calling forth a desire to escape it, and heaven without creating a desire to obtain it, as imagine a view of Christ to be disclosed to the soul and no desire to be excited there for the enjoyment of its blessings. Right? What, what, what is the ministry? The ministry is showing forth Christ that people would desire him. They would see him, want him for themselves. Right? As you see Jesus for who he is, you will inevitably be drawn to him. If you're not drawn to him, it's because you don't see him. And the clearer sense that you get of who he is, the more you will indeed desire him. Jesus is making us invitations. He wants us. He wants her and he wants us to come to him. He wants this woman to do what? To place her faith in him, which she eventually does. She doesn't at the end of our passage. She misunderstands him. But she eventually does. And Jesus wants for you to come and to receive of him. It's not enough that he, he, that he has achieved the spirit for his people. It must be you who come by faith and who ask it of him. Are you with me? He wants you to ask of him these blessings by faith. I have been to that well. I have stood where Jacob uh, made that well. I have, I have stood where Jesus was. Right now there's an Eastern Orthodox church building there. Last time I was there, well, the only time I was there, it did not have a covering over it. Maybe if you've been there lately, you can tell me if they finished the building. Mount Gerizim is on the one hand, Mount Ebal on the other. The tomb is just down the way. And with my own hands, I have hauled up from that well, maybe 100 feet, it's very, very deep, water. But that day that I was there, I did not drink from that water. And I regret that very, very much. But if you do not drink from this water that Jesus offers you, my regret will be nothing compared to yours. That you must drink of Jesus. You may look high and low everywhere else, but you must drink of Jesus, and you must continue to drink of Jesus. You must continue to receive the water of life from him by faith, or your regrets will make mine look very, very small. The invitation is, come everyone, as Isaiah puts it. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. There's no cost. There's nothing required but simply looking to Christ by faith to ask of him the Spirit. Lord, give me this life. Give me now. Give me for all my pilgrimage and give me forever. 
Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.